uh, happened to listen to last week's sermon, I won't ask how many of you tuned in, but we did take note, and those of you that did not, I'll be calling you this week. <laughs> no. We finished up James chapter uh, uh, 2 last week. We're not going to jump back into James for about a month. We're going to take about a month-long break from the book of James here. Um, I'm going to talk more in depth about this at the church business meeting on February 6th. But, um, oh, and also, by the way, we do have uh, one more thing to do at the conclusion of service today. We have a member, a uh, potential member that the church needs to vote on. I'm telling you that now so that if, one, if I forget, one of my board members can say, hey, we have to do that. Okay? Back to the sermon. Uh, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more actually in depth on February 6th. But for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about some sermons that lead up to it. So I'm going to let you guys know today. The theme of the church this year, our theme, is going to be what, not why. What, not why. And we're going to talk about that in about a month. But each sermon that I do over these next uh, four weeks, or three weeks, excuse me, leading up to it, are going to play into it. Okay. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37, and uh, the title today is Surprising Distractions, and next week the title will also be Surprising Distractions. You see, today we're going to talk about bad things that distract us. Next week we're going to talk about good things that distract us. Because oftentimes when we use the word distraction, it can only be a bad thing, right? It must be bad. Not necessarily. Now, to be distracted is bad, but not every time we are distracted, it is by a bad thing. We're going to talk about that next week. But this week, we are going to talk about the bad things that distract us. Not everything. We'd be here all week long if I was going to talk about every bad thing uh, that can distract us. So we're not going to uh, talk about all of them by any means, but... Um, we are going to talk about some, and I just realized I didn't put my Bible in the right passage, so I have to get there. So I was trying to talk while doing it, and my brain can only do one thing at a time. So, Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Let's read it, shall we? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Number one in your note sheets there, and uh, there were too many notes, so you get a whole sheet of paper to this week. Number one on your note sheets there, setting the scene, setting the scene. Obviously, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. This story isn't one that actually happened. Now, very similar stories would have happened uh, on this road, but this is a parable that Jesus is telling to prove a specific point. In the chapter 10, 
and a little bit previous, Jesus is teaching on righteousness. And what does it mean to be righteous? And what does that look like? So a lawyer or scribe is there and he talks to him and he goes, he wants to be justified in what he's saying. So he asks him a bunch of questions, right? This is the place where he says, what's the best, the number one commandment, the number one law, the best law written, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then in verse 29, we read, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because he says, Jesus responds with, and the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's the thing. In that section, what Jesus is saying is, you'll follow everything God wants you to do if you are loving him with all you are and you are loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You'll follow the rest of the law. He pairs it down to those two. And the, the, this, this scribe, this lawyer, is caught. But he doesn't want to be caught. He's like, wait, but okay, okay, I'll love my neighbor, but who is it? Who is my neighbor? And that's the scene that we find this passage of Scripture in. Jesus is showing them who his neighbor is. And most of the time when you've heard this, this passage preached and stuff, you have probably heard it preached from that perspective. Who is your neighbor? And that is a very important part of this. But there's another thing in here that we miss most of the time. Number two on your note sheets. Distracted by differences. Distracted by differences. So we're dealing with the Samaritan. In fact, the title of this parable is, of course, The Good Samaritan. So I think it's important that we say, what a Samaritan who was? Who were they? And why were they so hated? Samaritans were descendants of Assyrians, Assyrian colonists, after the fall of the northern kingdom. You see, back then, most of the time what would happen is when a kingdom, when, when, a, when a country or kingdom would conquer another country, they wouldn't just leave and now it was under their rule. They would strategically put people into that culture to help assimilate the conquered culture into their own. So what happened was in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom falls after, the, after Solomon and Rehoboam, right? The kingdom split in two. The northern kingdom, northern ten tribes, and the southern two tribes. The northern kingdom falls in 722 B.C. to the Assyrian Empire, who were the big baddies on the block before the Babylonians came around, who eventually will take over the northern kingdom, or the southern kingdom, excuse me. And so when Assyria takes over, they strategically place people. Fast forward almost 800 years, and the Samaritans are the descendants of those people placed there. The Jews never stopped being Jewish. They never stopped their stuff. So you've got these two sects, and they hate each other because the Samaritans remind the Jews that they are no longer free. Yes, the Babylonians and then the Romans were in control, but the Jews are reminded by the Samaritans they are not free. They're not a free nation. They're not a free people. Samaritans hate the Jews because the Jews hate the Samaritan, or, uh, treat the Samaritans horribly. And can you imagine if I said, hey, we just conquered Canada. We're going up there and we got to live up there from now on to make sure they become American. We're bringing hot dogs and hamburgers and pizza with us. It's going to be great. Did you know in Canada that a treat that they do is when it's cold enough, they put a, like a, a lollipop stick on the ground pour out maple syrup and wrap it around the stick and eat it like it's a lollipop. We don't want to conquer them. No. Right, so the Samaritans hate the Jews and the Jews hate the Samaritans and that's why. Because of 800 years of history, 
It's deep-seated hatred. Now, of course, we've talked about this before, but this road that goes down from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, not the Jericho uh, that got walked around. It's a new city formed by uh, the Roman Empire, okay? It's rocky, it's hilly, and it's full of robbers. You are a fool to walk down that road by yourself. We have met a fool. He walked down the road by himself and gets beaten and robbed. The first person we come across is the priest. And I had to do a little research into this because the priests came from the tribe of Levi. So why use a priest and then a Levite as well? It doesn't make sense, except it does. In my family, there are a number of pastors. As far as I know, there's at least one pastor going back essentially every generation. But all of the brushes are not pastors, right? It's the same idea. The priests came from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites were priests. It wasn't like if you were a son born of a boy born in the tribe of Levi that, well, he's going to be a priest. You could be, but it doesn't mean that you were a priest, okay? We're going to talk about those differences a little bit later. So first we see this priest, and he walks by and he sees this man bloody, beaten, robbed. He knows exactly what has happened. And the reason he would give you for not helping this man is that if you touch a dead body, if a priest touched a dead body, he became unclean. And it was an incredibly long, arduous, ritualistic process to become clean again. And what it meant by unclean is you could not give the sacrifices. You, you couldn't do your job. It would be like if you worked with your hands and I came and cut off both of your hands and said, you can't do your work until you grow them back. It's the same basic idea here. So the reason that he would give, if you stopped him and asked him, it would be, well, I don't want to become unclean, and I, I think that he's dead. Another reason is that he's also afraid that's a trap. Because oftentimes what would happen on this road is they'd get the one traveler and lie and wait for the next person to come along who would feel bad and help this guy, and they'd get them too. So he's actually afraid. You see, in that time, there were very few priests who would give a darn about becoming unclean. Most of them were probably unclean as it was. There were a lot of issues in that day, just as there's a lot of issues in today's world. But he was the, the high of society when it came to the spiritual needs of the people, right? The priest. Now, he wasn't the high priest, but he was in that ruling class there. Then we have a Levite. He's a normal guy, but he also can become unclean if he touches a dead body. And he's also afraid of a trap. So you might say, okay, both of them have legitimate reasons. Both of them have a legitimate reason to stay away from this guy. So then Jesus goes, then a Samaritan, the hated Samaritan, comes walking down the road and sees this man. And not only doesn't have pity, the word Jesus uses is has compassion. His heart breaks for this man and he gives up money he gives up his energy he gives up his time he gives up the fact that he might be robbed himself beaten and robbed himself but he knows the right thing to do is help that person so he does it and then of course Jesus goes okay who's your neighbor and the the poor lawyer scribe is forced to say it's the Samaritan then he goes about his way because he can't he can't handle that so here's the thing about distractions 
our Samaritan was not distracted by the culture around him, Samaritan versus Jew, was not distracted by fear of it being a trap, was not distracted by the fact that two denarii was a good amount of money and he was willing to give more on his way back if need be, was not distracted by becoming unclean, was not distracted by personal loss. He saw the need and he met it. You see, too often in our lives, we get distracted. We say, well, culture doesn't like that, okay? Money's tight, I know it is. It's going to require so much of me, and I already have to do this. I know it will. Most importantly, oftentimes, though we don't like to admit it, I'm afraid. I know you are. But we're not supposed to get distracted by what God wants us to do. You see, I raise the point that if the priest had said, this guy needs help, and I know I'm going to become unclean, and I'm going to have to go through this process, but I'm going to go, I think God would have been okay with it. Yes, he would have still gone through the process of becoming clean again, right, by the Jewish standards and such, but God would have been okay. You see, we're so often concerned about what our outward appearance is going to look like, about what people think about us, and we should be far more concerned with what does God think about us? What does God want us to do? And anytime your, your love of money, your love of culture, your love of fitting in, your love of anything other than your love of God stops you from doing something, you are distracted by a bad thing. It's bad. It's wrong. And too often times we get distracted by our sins, by our vices, by our hang-ups. And in a world where evil abounds everywhere, look around you, evil abounds everywhere. We can't afford to get distracted because when we get distracted, people go to hell. When you and I get distracted from sharing the love of God, which is the number one thing he has for us to do, when we get distracted from sharing the love of God, from showing people who Christ is, what he did for them, people go to hell. You get distracted. I get distracted. Satan wants to distract. It's the easiest way to defeat the church. Distracted. Don't let it focus on what's truly important. In our world today, and I might tick some of you off with this, so be it. In America today, we get distracted by politics. We get distracted by what denomination is somebody. We get distracted by what are they wearing. We get distracted by, oh, they don't enjoy the same things as us. We get distracted by our work. We get distracted by that nice little paycheck we get every two weeks, right? We get distracted by things that God says, I don't care about that. I care very much about where their eternal soul is going, and so should you. If your most hated political person walked through that door right now, would you share the gospel with him or her? Because that's what God's asking you to do. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not telling you not to vote based upon what you believe is right. I vote. I've voted in every election since I turned 18. And Lord willing, I will vote in every single one until they take away my right to do it. I'm not saying they're going to do that. But if it ever happens, right? 
I'm not telling you not to pay attention to what's happening in the world. I am telling you don't get distracted by it because your job is not to get Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or Nancy Pelosi in office. It's not. Your job is to share Christ. Your job is not to go to work and make ends meet. Sorry, your job is to share Christ. Now again, I'm not telling you not to work at all. You should work. But what I am telling you is don't let it be a distraction from who you are supposed well, from what you are supposed to be doing, from who you are supposed to be. And maybe most importantly, don't let your sins become a distraction. And that can happen in one or two different ways. The first way that Satan distracts us by our sin is when we sin, you hear that little voice in your head telling you that you are not good enough. You can't share the gospel. You sinned. You're just like them. You're right. You're not good enough to share the gospel. But you can because you have Christ in you. He makes you good enough to share the gospel. The second way is that we get so wrapped up in our sin that we don't see anything else. All you can think about is, when is your next, when's your next beer? When's the next time I get to watch porn? When's the next time I get to uh, gossip? When's the next time I get to do this and this and this? You're so wrapped up in your own sin that you don't even see out. It usually starts with the first one, Satan saying, you're not good enough. You don't share the gospel. You're not good enough. And eventually, you become numb, and now you're in the second one where you're so wrapped up in your own sin, you don't even see the world around you. Distracted. And when we're distracted, people go to hell. So let's apply it to our lives. Sorry, this isn't an uplifting sermon today. Let's apply it to our lives, what we should do with it. First off, keep your eyes open, if I may. This morning I mentioned an excellent opportunity on how not to get distracted and how to share Christ with somebody. Now granted, these people are already Christians. They don't need salvation. They need something else. If God lays it on your heart to send a message or give a call to the Latshaws, don't get distracted. Do it. Keep your eyes open for opportunities. Keep your eyes open, and if you keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfect of your faith, as Hebrews says, you'll see the opportunities because he sees them. Secondly, recognize that Satan uses our presuppositions, big word alert, Satan uses our presuppositions to distract us. Whether it's race, gender, age, Job differences, sports differences, political differences, whatever. Satan uses our ideas that we already have about the people around us to distract us. Be aware of it and be on the lookout to stop it before it even happens. And finally, and this one, in my opinion, is the hardest one of them all. Do the right thing even when you don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm bragging here because I don't do the right thing way too often. But one day, somebody told me, you always seem like you do the right thing no matter what the personal cost is. You just must do it. You enjoy it. I'm like, no, I hate doing the right thing. 
But the problem is, I was raised to know what the right thing is, and so I have to do it. I can't claim ignorance. If I willfully do the wrong thing, I know I'm doing the wrong thing. It is okay to sometimes do the right thing strictly because you know it's the right thing. You do not always have to want to do the right thing. Do it anyway. It will cost you. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you energy. It'll cost you. Do it anyway. Each and every time. And eventually you'll learn you don't even have to consider it anymore. You just do it. It is okay to just do the right thing without being able to go, yeah, I really, really want to do it. Okay, I'm glad for you because I don't. I'm way more like Paul who says, I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. I'm way more like him. If you don't have to struggle with that, God bless. But if you're like me and you do, do the right thing anyway. Here's the thing. We often sit there and talk about, I don't know what the right thing is. I have found, and I granted, I know I might not have as many situations as some of you in here, but I have found that when we don't know the right thing to do, more often it's not that we don't know, it's that we don't want to do what the right thing is. Because when you ask God to do the right, what the right thing is, he's going to show you. Don't get distracted by this world around you. The right thing is always in front of you. One last one that's not on your note sheets. Do the next thing. Do the next thing. We're so worried about what's going to happen a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. What are we doing here and here and here? God's saying, no, I'm not telling you not to plan, Right? But what I am saying is, when it comes to what does God want me to do, don't worry about what God wants you to do in January of 2023. Don't worry about what God wants you to do in February of 2022. Don't even really worry about what he wants you to do next week. Worry about what does he want you to do today in your next moment. God, what is next? One step at a time. And help me to do the right thing in that next thing. Don't get distracted by these things around you, by evil and by some things that are not necessarily evil, but distractions. I'm not telling you not to watch football. I'm gonna watch football today. It's the playoffs, baby, let's go. Bill Belichick lost last night by 40 points. Amen. There is a God. Lord willing, Tom Brady will lose today by 40 points. Can I get an amen? Amen. They're playing the Eagles, so no. But here's the thing, right? I'm not telling you not to live in the world around you. I'm telling you not to be apart, to be set apart from it, not be distracted by it, and do the next thing, and do the right thing in the next thing. Would you pray with me? Father, we lift you up this morning. We praise you, and, and you know what? Here we are. We get distracted so easily. Even those of us who may not have something like ADHD or ADD or whatever it is anymore, or whatever, we, get, we all we get distracted by everything so easily. I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed forward right on you and that you would show us each and every situation that we're supposed to act in and work in. You would show us the next thing and help us, give us the strength, the faith, the grace to do the right thing in the next thing. Help us to set aside our likes, our dislikes for the cause of Christ to do what we are supposed to do. Father, we praise you. 
It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.